Shut up and sit down. Hello and welcome to Funny Business, a podcast for free thinkers and creators. I'm Robbie Hicks. And I'm Lockie Bradford. Well, today is Monday and that means we're getting to know the people behind the stories. We talk to guests from all walks of life and unpack what makes them special. We are naturally curious, Rob. That is what makes us special. Anyway, we could talk about ourselves all day, but Monday's episodes are all about our guests. Let's find out who we're talking to today. Adam, thank you so much for jumping on, uh, jumping on the Funny Business Podcast and chatting with us today. So for those at home listening, tell us who are you and what do you do? Uh, Adam, um, consumer psychologist, which basically means I work out why people buy things and help develop ideas to get them to buy more things or different things or things of increased value, that kind of thing. Is that like a hard, when people say that, when you say that's your job, do you find it hard like walking around the supermarket and just like looking at everything? Do you see everything as like what they're trying to make you do versus what you're trying to do yourself? Like I'm going there to buy some snacks and chocolate and whatever. I'm going to be sucked in by how I, they're. Yeah, totally. I think so. And I think it's a pretty meta experience because no matter how much you know it, it still impacts on you. You know, like I still have, I still am a sucker for, you know, I've got this kind of Adidas Lego shoe on my desk, whatever. So I just, you know, I still am a sucker for for marketing and for marketing tricks, even though I'm in the business of helping develop them. Um, but yeah, so I have a, um, a, I'm a co-founder of a creative agency called Thinkabell, and we practice what we call measured magic, which is marketing sciences meets hardcore creativity. And that's my kind of main day job. But I've, you know, written a few books and speak a bit and do other stuff like that as well. How did you get into this in the first place? Like, is it something as a kid you grew up and thought, I'm I'm pretty good at this, I'm pretty creative, I can make something of it? Or was it a pathway that you just found yourself in? Uh, when I was at school, I was failing school. I went to see a tutor. Uh, before that, I was I used to I used to trade shares on the only landline in the school every lunchtime. So I'd ring up at lunchtime, go and trade shares with my broker, hang up and go back. And so I was always known as the kind of the the rich kind of weird kind of stock brokey guy. And then it's a weird hobby to have in high school. You know, like I'm ducking out <laughs> the lunch break to chase some stocks. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, was, it was quite, it was kind of funny. But um, but I was failing school and so a tutor said to me, what are your interests? And I said, it's money and it's people. And that tutor said I should become a consumer psychologist. And I thought, shit, that's perfect. And so I got a degree in clinical psych and I got a degree in commerce and kind of chased that i love psychology and that's something that i never thought i'm smart enough to to go down that path but i enjoy like digging deep on youtube and love uh reading articles and stuff like that so i love the space that you're playing and you're interested to hear what was the first thing like think about like how did that start like did it was it your did was it a project that you'd done and then you're like i need to bring on more people or Oh, the first thing I did was I worked in a I worked in the prisons for a few years, so I just got a job anywhere I could, and I really enjoyed that. Then I wanted to try to um, get over into back into marketing because that's what my where I was going to be. I was going to be a consumer psychologist, so I did my thesis in identifying the underlying constructs of cool people, what makes people cool. And I thought if I can uncover that, then people are going to want me to help them. And so I did my thesis in that. Became a global cool hunter for a while back just as kind of social media was starting. Back in the day before trends were appropriated really, really quickly, businesses had to go and find someone to go to Harajuku or whatever and buy and spot a trend. So I did that for a while. Then I um, 
went into brand consultancy at agency, started an agency called Naked, sold that, and then started Thinkabell, knowing all the issues with the advertising agency landscape. So I co-created that with um, a couple of friends. Um, what makes yeah. a, what makes a, a good ad? You know, like what makes you interested? Like what makes you interested in this space? I know like the consumer psychology part, but like when you're doing this, this type of work, what, what, why do you like to make people feel in a certain way? Like what's attractive about that? I reckon what makes, I reckon it's a really good question. What makes a good ad? And guess what? Guess what the most obvious, guess what the most important answer is? Simple. Simple. Yeah. Simple, simple, simple. And does what? I'm making, I'm making, you're, you're talking about I'm making it into the world's most boring quiz. <laughs> no, it's good. I'm, I'm just trying to think. I'm just trying to, I'm going to yeah. use my brain, do I? Yeah, yeah. we normally, Thinking. yeah, no, doesn't normally reverse that. In a way. <laughs> you know what I mean? I've got no idea. Simple, easy to understand. It is what it is. Yeah, I reckon the most important thing is it's got to be branded, right? So the most important thing is people have got to know what brand it is speaking to them. So I often say, if you just jiggle the logo in front of the screen for, 20 seconds that's going to be more effective than a completely fucking out there wild crazy ad that nobody's got any idea where it's from so number one you've got to make it branded number two um advertising can work in very in different ways but over time no ad works as works as a one-off thing so you don't see an ad and go fuck i'm going to go buy x it works by having a cumulative effect so you gotta have you gotta work out what stays consistent over all of those different kind of executions or different media touch points. So you build the brand collectively. Then there's two other things. You gotta you think about paired association. So what are all the different things you're pairing your logo or your brand with to help guide the consumer as to what you're trying to say about yourself? Ideally, you'd form some form of emotional response. So if you just talk at people like, ah, oh, buy me now, $29.95, blah, blah, blah. That can form reactants and people can actually go, ah, oh, fuck you, I'm not really interested in your brand because you're screaming at me. So if you sleep through in a in kind of an emotional way, people are much more receptive to that. Um, and then just being famous. So, so, you know, we talk about earned media a lot, right? So not having to pay for media or getting people to talk about stuff. So the more famous you can make anything, then, then if something's famous, people tend to buy into it kind of because of herd-like behaviour. So if it's good enough for everyone else, then it must be okay for me. So then you feel better about the purchase. And all of those reasons are one of the reasons why uh, digital programmatic targeted advertising often isn't nearly as effective as people think it's going to be because you don't have that social halo of thinking, fuck, everyone, everyone's saying this. This is amazing. So that that's kind of interesting, I reckon. We chatted to Gabby Leibovich from Catch and he talked about above-the-line marketing and below-the-line marketing. So below, he was talking about like digital channels, paid traffic, all that sort of stuff, and the above-the-line was like influence in like real society, whether it's like things that people think are dead, like TV, print, uh, billboards, all these things like, Everyone thinks they live in their phone, but how important they are for creating that extra layer of, I see that brand in my day-to-day life. I walk into the train, I see them there. I get in my target ads on my phone. Is that something now when you talk about like building people, building influence and building like that real care factor that you have to be yeah, everywhere? Yeah, that's exactly Gabby. I mean, and Gabby knows his shit, right? Um, but that's exactly right. So you have to reach as many um 
as people as possible. You're never quite sure who's going to buy your brand at any given time. So you have to keep on talking to lots and lots of people all the time. And the more your brand is out there and seen in a kind of a mass way, the more you feel comfortable with that brand because you know that everybody else is seeing it. So um, if you buy, do you, either of you guys drive a Ferrari? <laughs> no, I'd, uh, I'd probably crash it, yeah. 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 I, I, I would I, I, stop I, with the Ferrari, I reckon. I <laughs> so people buy Ferrari not because it costs 300000 bucks but because they know that everyone else knows that it costs 300,000 bucks. And so that's where they get the kudos from in terms of kind of buying that. So if you, if so many of these ads out in the world all the time, then those things that are out in the world all the time feel like they're big and popular. So if you see something on the telly, it must be okay kind of thing is, is, is kind of how it works a little bit as well. So social norming, we call that. What about capturing people in like when they're feeling good? Is that important? I've read somewhere that like when you're when you're trying to get people to buy and stuff like that, you want to catch them in like feeling good or or in a in a positive frame of mind and stuff like that. What was the one that was like you foods and Marley Spoon? Marley Spoon. And it was like you have to hit them like seven, eight times or whatever it was like. And they were just like seven, eight times, bang it out. Make sure that it's consistent. You know what I mean? I hate when companies target me like that. Though. Yeah, you know, like I feel like fuck, I, I, leave I, me I the fuck too. alone. Yeah, I, I I agree. And um, and I no, I've never heard that about um, you have to get them when they're feeling good or anything. We talk about category entry points. So if you you got to get them when they're ideally the most effective way to communicate would be when they're thinking about the category. So no ad will make you um hungry they'll only help you achieve that goal of satiating your hunger once you're hungry. So, and then the, the category entry point is at a category level, not a brand level. So I'm feeling hungry. Uh, and then if, if Macca's, Pizza Hut and KFC pop into your mind, that's your consideration set. Or I stop at a server, I'm feeling thirsty. Then you, you look around to satiate your thirst. So I need a new car because my last one's just run out. So once the category entry point gets triggered, I'm now in the category, your brand needs to get stuck in the person's mind before anybody else. So if you could think about the category entry points, when somebody's going to be thinking about your category, getting there, that's how, that's the most, that's an effective way or a shortcut way to help him build a brand. It's like Big Max. I'm seeing the Big Max when I watch the cricket and the footy and stuff, and they hit you at that right time. It's on at like seven o'clock if you just haven't <laughs> eaten. It's like that's the perfect time for me to be like, "Fuck, that looks delicious." I'm just gonna. It's easy. <laughs> it looks delicious. It's huh? just easy because I see it and you see it all the time. You know, well, yeah. you're, where you live here, you're pretty close to Macca's. Yeah, so I can stuff. walk there, Adam. So you know, I can burn <laughs> the fat off. You know, oh gee. What about like you working with different clients with different expectations? I'm sure that. Um, people come with bigger budgets, smaller budgets. Everyone wants a, a decent bang for buck, but I feel like it's very, all the people we've talked to on the pod, good marketing or good the advertising is hard to quantify because there's elements outside of just purely numbers figures or it, it, what's your approach to that? Is it what, What's your thoughts on that? Two things. Um, what you want is you want people to come to your brand you want to be self-selective about the people who come to your brand so the stronger your brand is and the more your brand stands for something then you, it's going to be self-selective who calls you because they're going to want what it is that you're that you're selling if you're really really clear so our proposition is measured magic marketing sciences meets hardcore creativity 
Our logo is little is Rodan's Tinker with Tinkerbell's wings on it. Everything's pink and green. Really, really clear brand with really, really clear distinctive brand assets or brand codes. And therefore, we get people asking for exactly what it is that we're selling, which is so you're normally having a really good first conversation. The question around budgets and shit like that, um, I shouldn't say shit like that, I should say the question around budgets uh, is, is a hard one to, to answer, as you say. But I, I love that phrase that advertising is a taxi pay for not having a remarkable product. And there's a really good book written years ago called Baked In, and it talks about um, good communications should be baked into the product. So, again, I look, you know, I hold up this Lego Adidas JV uh, with a shell top shoe, and that's, you know, the fact that I'm worth showing you that now as a thing is kind of interesting. It's got communications baked into it because it's a really interesting partnership. And so that every time I show that, that's saving Lego and Adidas one, one cent, you know what I mean, of, of their marketing budget because I'm doing that. And so if you can get, if you can think about your communications, first of all, as kind of being inherent or baked into the product that it, itself that you're selling, then from there, think about earned media. So what are things I can do that's going to get more attention or stunts or ways of framing my employment policies or whatever it is, that's good. Then think about shared media. So what kind of partnerships can I do or other brands I can leverage or other communities I can drop my brand into to share the media? And then finally, after all of that, if you're still not reaching enough people, then you start to buy media. And then you have that really boring conversation around uh, what channels to buy. That, so I'm tipping the hardcore creativity. That's where you're pushing the limits. So the the game of attention, I suppose, like the, the TikTok age now. What do you do? You scan uh, apps like that and see what's going on. I'm sure you're looking at that shit all day to see how that stuff changes. Yeah, I am. Um, and I'll always they'll all. I think on every platform there'll be I'll have a, like three or four experiments on there where I'll just you know. So I can remember like a few years ago just just doing three or four really bad TikTok dances and things before we kind of knew what was happening, just to kind of get into the, just to try to understand the platform. And then whatever platform, whatever platform stick with me for whatever reason, I'll just stay on. But it's really important. I feel like it's really important to understand them all from a first user perspective for sure. I remember we did, we did an experiment maybe like five years ago or something like that. Remember we photoshopped... Uh, Joe Rogan's head on Kelly Slater in a in a in a barrel, like in like in a surf barrel, and then we just called it Joe Rogan crushing barrels, and then put like a hundred bucks on ads or whatever. And the, the amount of eyes and attention we had on yeah. this page was just fucking it was so crazy. Poor. The quality was <laughs> such too, a poor yeah. thing, but it's like yeah. it's testing the ideas of how do you get people to take action, or what are people are actually interested in, or how important is it going? Like I feel like some of these big brands, say like Coca Cola, for example. They just want everyone to see it. So they don't care. They just want as many eyes or whatever you want to do. But for something so niche like that, finding things that just hit that get more traffic is that is that stuff that you like you're thinking around when you when you're running experiments with thinking ideas like metrics that matter. It met, yeah. yeah, what are the metrics that matter? Like how niche are you going with some of the stuff that you're doing, or does it depend on the brands that you're working with? Marketing is a mass market game, 
and you never quite know who's going to be in your market and whoever's in your market, you want your market to grow. I mean, that's pretty much um, that's, that's kind of the norm. So we're, we're not, if we're doing stuff like that, that would be, we would be asking a whole bunch of creators to create, be creating content in various verticals and so forth that we would help kind of construct. But with the types of communications we do, that would likely be a small part of an overall bigger campaign. So, so our clients are clients like, um, you know, people like uh, Booper or Jetstar or Repco or stuff like that. So what goes into planning and activation then? So like when you're doing these ones, like uh, Locke's been talking, I know we've mentioned Cal a couple of times, but mm. Cal actually, uh, he, we had a, Locke and I used to live together, what, like eight years ago? Yeah, yeah. And he, we had a, we threw a big 90s themed house party for when we had our like moving in day or whatever it was. Mm. And it was, it was pretty wild. And Cal was in some DJ competition and then all of a sudden. With me. That's with how the, we met. Yeah. yeah. And he was DJing at house parties with all these people who didn't know. Yeah. Bringing mud through this fucking house. And they're just idiots <laughs> yeah. who just give it to us. But yeah. he was explaining some of the projects that he works on. And like to hear Locke talk about how passionate he is um, about working at a place. Like think about you got, you got named in LinkedIn top startups again. Like what, what does it mean about building a culture for having like and building a platform or environment for other people to have interesting careers, I guess. It's such interesting work. Yeah, it's, um, there's a lot There's a lot in that question. I think number one is for every um, – I, I like the idea that we've got a broad, broad – a lot of stuff we do. So we have media planning and buying. We have at PR. We have, create, we have just creative solutions. We have – high-end brand strategy and business strategy and we chuck it all together and that way I can promise lateral growth I can promise that you'll have a broader perspective and a broader skill set than than when you came in um, the other thing we and then the other thing we like to keep the brand as famous as possible so we enter a lot of awards. Um, we win a lot of awards, but there are shitloads to win in, in my industry. So most people can say that. But um, we keep the brand as famous as possible because that attracts good uh, clients and then that attracts good opportunities for all the people working on them. Then the other thing we like to do is set up a strong brand platform. So, um, you know, we, we work with Vegemite. Their platforms taste like Australia. We work with... Uh, Booper uh, Health Insurance, their platform is Because Life Happens. Um, work with Binge and so, and so on and so on. And so once you've got a strong brand platform, then you can just kind of unleash that and people know pretty quickly whether the idea is right or wrong. And so that creates a kind of a sense of, um, of liberation and, and anything's possible and 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 fun i think if, if you're creatively driven the other really cool thing about all of that sorry is just um creativity at the moment in corporate culture is kind of really rising to the top of the tree and so it's really interesting to watch the ceo or the uh, cmo or whatever listening to the creative idea and trying to get it and trying to understand this stuff about emotional connection and 
creativity and and because and because that, that's where a lot of competitive advantage lies because in in most legacy businesses what you're actually selling is pretty much at parity so most cars are pretty much the same most drinks or sodas are pretty much the same most beers are you know, pretty much the same and so the solution is often kind of coming up with really interesting uh, creative ideas um, and so it's getting, I feel it getting much more respect as a, as a kind of a, a genuine strategic business tool rather than just uh, dicking around with um, TikTok challenges that also have their, have their place. What are some of your favourite, have you had any like memorable campaigns or memorable projects that you've worked on that you're like, proud I, of? Yeah. Like, I fucking nailed that. How good am I? You know? <laughs> Oh, yeah, I, I, the, the, they're, they're right. Um, the, the, the two things I stick with, I love. Um, I had a, um, a role in the share in share of Coke, which is kind of that campaign of Coke uh, names on Coke cans, which went global and blah blah blah. Which was probably the biggest thing I've been involved in and most successful. But the thing I really like, there's a radio station called FBI Radio in um, Sydney and it's um, all its listeners are cool, young, uni student type people and they needed to raise a million dollars and every uh, to stay afloat to repay the, pay back the loan that they had taken out. And every year they'd have a, um, a fundraiser and raise between 60 and 80K and they came to us and said, we need to raise a million bucks of fucked or else we're going to be dead. And so it... Uh, they said we need a million-dollar idea was the brief. And so we said, don't ask the uni students for money. They've got none. But use their creativity to get the attention of somebody who can afford to pay back the loan. And so we did a campaign called Ask Richard. And they all had to ask Richard Branson for a million dollars. And whoever unlocked the money from Branson got to keep 50K. And that went nuts. It was unreal. And it went everywhere, got loads of PR. Um, somebody swam to his island in Necker and... Um, and anyway, um, he got, he jumped on board and the campaign ended up raising about a million bucks, but then got lots more exposure for various other things. And they ended up, got so much money, they ended up opening a, a nightclub called FBI Social. And when they opened that, I thought, oh, yeah, this is, this is really cool. So I like that. I'm sorry I'm going to bore you. I'm going to give you one more as well, which I really like as well. Uh, art series hotels many years ago, we did something called Steal Banksy where we invited people to stay the night and steal the art and that would create lots of PR. So we bought a Banksy, if you could steal it, you had to get it, take it outside, you got to keep it, you got caught, you had to put it back on the wall. But the thing I really liked, which we did from, was called the Overstay Checkout and this is a long-winded answer but it's getting somewhere. And what you could do is every morning if somebody, you ring up the concierge and if somebody wasn't in your room, uh, using your room that night, you could stay there for free an extra night, and you could keep on staying there until somebody needed your somebody had booked your room. So you never quite knew how long you were going to stay at the hotel for free. And, um, and but what happened was, you it, while you were staying there, you'd feel so good about it or whatever that you'd use you'd drink at the bar, you'd eat at the restaurant, and so you start to spend money. And all we were doing was giving away dead airspace because nobody's using the hotel room that night anyway. And I love it, I love concepts that create value out of nothing. Like I think that's really good marketing. So in that instance with the hotel room for the art series, 
we weren't giving anything away. There was nothing there that costed us anything. And yet we created shitloads of value for the business. And if you can have that mindset, how do I create more value out of whatever it is that I'm selling through creativity, through ideas, then you'll unlock something for sure. Have you, have you had any ideas where you push it a little bit too far? You've got a black book. It's like, that's just too extreme or that's, that's too crazy. Sure, if you had lock to, that up. Yeah, lock that up. That's just, we're not, we're not ready yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, we, 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 we're, yes, we have. Um, but you know, like, um, so we, we, we all, we always workshop ideas that'll get you fired ideas, you know, and that kind of stuff. And then we pull back from there. But, um, back in, back in my previous agency, we had ideas where we, um, where we used to fabricate a lot of things and fabricate things that, that had happened. So we fabricated the idea of getting a hypnotist to, who could who came to Australia and would hypnotise people to fall in love with your brand and love it forever. And then we sold his services. Um, and we did that on behalf of a, a certain brand. And that created lots of outrage. Another time we pretended this lady had lost, met a guy and uh, he had left his jacket in the cafe. And so she had to find the owner of this jacket, but it was all an ad for the brand of jacket it was. And um, when social media was starting, we didn't quite know the rules of how to do it and how not to do it and stuff like that. So fabricating those kind of movements is quite big for a while. But then social media got really fucking serious and um, and really earnest. And now um, and now it's a bit more like Big Brother than it is social media. Is it? Is it? I feel like the the lines moved. I feel like you, everyone's so hypercritical or willing to share an opinion about like outrage all the time. Like you fucking yeah. people are outraged about everything. But there's an opportunity to zig when they zag. You know what I mean? Has, it, has the it, line changed? The, the line hasn't changed. It's a grid. There's fucking lines. There's a million line, million horizontal lines who you're going to piss off and there's a million vertical lines. You know what I mean? And so mm. like it's a grid stopping creativity because somebody, to your point, is going to get outraged. And because that person is going to get outraged, that is going to create a link on Google, which is going to get back to. So it's really, it's really interesting what's happening as it's as we're all policing each other's behaviour. Is is any publicity good publicity? Is stuff like that when things can yeah. go? Yeah, go it wrong? kind of is. It, the marketing scientists will say that it is. So um, saliency uh, kind of trumps association so just being known for whatever will account for more sales than having a strong brand image if you know what i mean so in some ways that that old adage is kind of true and even if you think about brands like a few years ago samsung's phones were exploding in people's pockets and exploding on planes <laughs> and all that shit yeah it's catching fire hey it's gonna be phone ball <laughs> yeah yeah exactly but all through that period their share prices is going like this right and um and it never really impacted the business and you see all these kind of data breaches and so forth and you have a look at their share price and it's, it's a blip it doesn't really matter it would only matter if like a, a really like stable competitor showed up at that time to steal that when you were sort of down, but that'd have to be ultimate timing or something like that, wouldn't it? Yeah, and maybe and maybe it starts to matter if it becomes systemic. 
But if yeah. you know, and it's but even but I say and I only say maybe because the Samsung thing was pretty systemic for a while and it didn't really impact that. But if you're cons- consistently in the news for the wrong reasons for some kind of PR shit, then I, that can't be a good thing, right? So it just feels like that would be stupid. What about for those listening at home, if they've they've got an idea and they want to sort of prove it out and test it or anything like that, or they want to expand their creativity, maybe for people who say they're they're not that creative. Um, is there any tips and advice for people like that? Uh, Seth Godin's got a principle of, of uh, try it with 10 people or test it with 10 or something. He says, whatever idea you got, just show it to 10 people and keep on doing that. I think it's something like that. So maybe check out his thing. Um, for people who don't identify as creative, I, I think you just need to um, re reassess yourself. I think everyone's creative to some people are more creative than others i think as being a human being we're creative i think it's it's part of who we are um so i would it, it's about it's the i reckon the hard thing is getting confidence as to what's a good idea and what's not and i think that comes from really knowing what your brand's about so if you can know what your brand's about know it is what you're selling get really really clear on the vision of what you're about the tone of so what what's this brand meaning or you know, if you've got a purpose, what's its purpose? Or if it's a proposition, what's its proposition? What are its values and personality? If you're really, really clear on that and say, does this idea help express that? Then then I think you're in a position to go nuts. What about like ideation sessions and like coming up with like being coming up with enough ideas that you know what's a good one and a bad one? People who get stuck at the I need to know all the answers. How do you go about deciding for yourself have you got your Which own the, have you got your own i don't know scale or rating decision your making about, yeah what's a good and yeah. bad idea well i i think so but it comes back to the brand right so it comes back to is it on brand and then is it going to get attention um uh, probably my two little instinctive radars i'm assessing work against um i would i would encourage everyone to generate idea generate a large quantity of ideas because from, I think from quantity comes quality, but also you just get used to forcing yourself to have lots and lots of ideas. And it's amazing how fast you can do it if you make yourself work work fast. And then if you then get picked two or three ideas, then kind of, you know, you can start to go deep on those and, and start to flesh those out or start to get external advice if you want them on those ideas as well. What are you learning at the moment? Like what's challenging you? Like I'm sure all this sort of stuff feels like you've been doing this stuff for ages and years and I'm sure there's always new things, but are there any other things that you're learning at the moment? Yeah, I like if, if to, uh, to hideously cross-promote myself, I, I have a, my, a podcast called Black T-Shirts, which Cal's um, doing a brilliant job helping on, and that is um, we're interviewing, you know, the world's leading experts in creativity on their creative processes. So we're trying to break down the creative process. And it was a really interesting question you guys asked before about the culture. And one of the things I'd love to do is to be able to create a culture where people felt like their creative muscle improved and they knew uh, that they were contributing to the creativity of, uh, of the entity in, in, in any kind of way. And, um, and in order to do that, we're trying to put a magnifying glass onto the, the actual process and how it works and what's the role of the insight, what's the role of the idea, how is that idea best executed? And that's a pretty wobbly, esoteric 
kind of part of a marketing landscape? Locke and I come from different backgrounds of like education of what we're doing. You went to the uni path, but I didn't finish what you're doing, but you did events and you did no, college dropout. No, right? but no. you did <laughs> things that you you said you were going to do. It's funny yeah. that you sort of work in that spot. Yeah, yeah. And community and events, you know, I just, I just wanted to hide at uni and I ended up doing it, you know. <laughs> yeah. But it's like the thinking of like real life situ- scenario, like in doing a project versus like theory behind trying to come up with ideas or learning about different stuff being in and, and and experimenting and trying and learning from failures because i'm sure that that's I, I don't know if you you think the same but the things you fuck up you learn the most from is that pushing the boundaries you know yeah that's a pretty popular thing to say at the moment isn't it i don't know if it's true i reckon i reckon i learn from success more than i learn from failure i reckon failure just makes me feel a bit fucking a bit like a loser um <laughs> <laughs> oh well, that's not that's what losers say. Failure is good. It's just you learn. No, that's <laughs> winners. I, I, it's hard. I, I find it hard dealing with um. I find it hard dealing with failure. I hate it when things don't go well, and and I don't know if that makes me better. Like when things go when when things go well, I feel confident. I feel like I know what I'm doing. I feel like. This is good. I think, like, like at least for me, anyway, success breeds success. And so, and I'm not saying I'm really successful or anything, but just when things go well, I feel better, and it feels good. And then more things tend to spiral off that. And so, I'd encourage, I'd encourage small successes. And the other thing on that, um, you know, Damien Hardwick, the um, the the football coach for Richmond. Yeah, I, I played for Richmond Footy Club 2010-2011. Harvick was my coach. Are you joking? Nah. <laughs> He's, really? Back, he was, yeah. He was your coach? Yeah, first out of, out of school, rookie to Richmond. Was there first year, he was the coach, all the new thing, all the people that he... Dustin Martin knew, wasn't he? Dustin Martin knew, all those yeah. people, yeah. Okay. So let me tell you something about your coach that, that you'll already know. <laughs> let me know. <laughs> Um, and uh, and I caught up with him at the AFL. I went up to him. I caught up with him. I went up to him at the AFL Grand Final um, this year, and I, I spoke to him for the first time. I said, "Oh, mate, I've been talking about you for years," and I was a bit pissed. And um, I told him this story. But I think it was in about 2009 when Richmond were really losing. He said he said, and he was quoted in the paper as saying, "You know, we may be, we may, may not be winning, but we act like we're winning." And whenever we have a, whenever we kick a goal, everyone celebrates crazily. Come watch us play. Watch everyone celebrate the Jesus out of a goal way score. And I love that philosophy because I, I think that action changes attitude faster than attitude changes action. So if you can change your behaviours and start to pretend that you're winning or pretend that you're succeeding, even if you're not, the mind catches up to the behaviours and then you start to think, oh, yeah, we're fucking winning here. And then if you start to think you're fucking winning here, then you start to win. And so I spoke to him about that. And he said, yeah, it's kind of that's that's exactly what they were doing. They were celebrating the, 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 the wins, the little wins, and then they started to feel like winners. And then from there, it all started to happen. And so just coming back to that whole concept around failure, I don't think it works like that. I do think it works by having little wins, having little successes. And maybe that requires you to... Um, if you do fuck up in some way, to cognitively reappraise that and just see it as a win anyway and say, oh, fuck it, it was good for this reason or whatever. Do you know what I mean? I think and he I'm- came from amazing, like, amazing stock. You know what I mean? Like, he, he'd 
he, he got to go under Sheedy. He then went to uh, Hawthorne. He, he got experienced success at Port Adelaide. He came and he built that culture from the ground up of what they wanted to do. But I guess I looked from the outside in and, and my experience was what it was, um, which I, I've, I've talked openly about. It wasn't like I was an 18-year-old kid, came into this environment that had a lot of growing up to do, but it was also... I guess from an environment now, I was on that crossover period between old school footy and the new age of modern footy. And I don't think that my personality and the way, I guess I, I, I didn't fit into the old way of working. I do agile coaching. I represent new ways of working. I understand emotional intelligence and all that, that sort of stuff, which I think was the way old... that they... Pardon? Sorry, mate. Go on. The way that, they, I guess, you see some of the different stuff that they've had. They've had amazing success, right? But it hasn't been without things that that relentless pursuit of the high performance you see it with everywhere it's not there's not many organizations that get to have that long lasting in that he was part of the old way or part of a new way i think he was on the bridge so if yeah, you look right. at it if like five or six years in he went over to america to go study study agile leadership out of harvard or whatever to understand more about yeah. how to do the next stuff and that's when they changed their approach where they were coming into the huddles and doing all the fun stuff and all that sort of stuff so You've seen other teams sort of. Yeah, and it's, and it's like, too, yeah. I like like the Brisbane Lions footy club who like they've openly got more of like that mentorship and it's just the new generation of stuff that comes through. But like culture for me, like that's something I'm super passionate about and interested in because I've lived and breathed it at, at multiple different levels and now working in tech teams. I, I think that all cultures have their own. They're all fluid. They're always constantly moving. It all comes down to people and creating those environments. But leaders in those, in those things set a big tone and, I think the stuff that's given him success and gave Richmond success were still the things that were there with him the whole way, but he's obviously learned and adapted and changed changed some leadership style that he had as generational change went through. Because like my first year, bro, I was in the Richmond Footy Club when they had before they did the redo, and there was like possum shitting on the floor in the fucking change rooms. I'm like, this is crazy, you know? What <laughs> I mean, like this is AFL elite standard. Is like they were fifteenth. It was last year. Um, Terry da- Terry, what's his name? Terry Wallace, and they're like last in the ladder. Oh, so he yeah. had like he picked it and up, he, he dead, was, no members, was, nothing. Yeah, he was the hard ass. Um, we've done a bit of work with Paul Ruse, and he has a philosophy which I love, which is never leave culture to chance. And um, and I love that kind of concept of making sure that you're engineering your culture, you're creating it. You're not just going, oh, what's the fucking culture going to be here, um, and taking a systematic view of it. But that would that would have been a fascinating experience, man. Just going into a footy club as an eighteen year old and going, yeah, that's incredible. It was a weird, weird time. So, you know, as I think, I look back. Like I had a knee injury now, and like I didn't play after like twenty five. I'm thirty one now. So I stopped playing sport at twenty five. But like the idea of personnel, like my personal well being, everything attached to me is like a sportsman, an athlete. And then I was out the door by 20 trying to play and try to get back in the system, was going to go play and go different places. But again, I had to choose. I'm five foot nine. I was like the shortest and lightest person in the AFL when I got drafted. So I was like, my reality check was, do I keep trying to go down that pathway to play sports or do I go get a job and do a degree and get a job? And like, it took a while to find like meaning and purpose in other stuff. But again, there's like a lot of similarities that people have of, who have been in that professional sporting environment that have traits that apply to different things. And I found my thing with working with teams and it's like everyone, like you said before, everyone's got different muscles that they need to flex and, and do and cultures that stuff is for me and creativity for others, how they practice and do that stuff. It requires the same sort of like, I don't know, focus and passion. 
Have you have you had Jules Lund on your uh, program? No, it, it was he Reach Tribe. Yeah, yeah. No, we yeah. haven't, but love his work. Yeah, yeah. He's unreal. So he's the founder of Tribe, this is um, social influence agency, and he was trained at Reach by Jim Steins, and uh, and he's amazing. He has a whole really interesting little posse there as well. I like what they've done at Tribe. Yeah, oh, they blew up there yeah. for a while, there, didn't they? Yeah, even Re- Reach. I mean, I had a mate who went, I went to school with who was working there. They do some good, good stuff. You know, Jimmy Stein's good legacy. Hey, hey, our sponsor of the show, Heaps Normal. The question we ask all our guests is, "What's your version of Heaps Normal? What's the thing that you turn to when you're looking to get some energy back in your life?" When I'm looking to get energy back in my life, um, it would have to, you know. It, it would have to be my kids and just just getting into their zone and just con- just 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 seeing the world through their eyes and doing whatever it is that they're doing, whether it's throwing a shark plane or just getting immersed in a kind of a book that I wouldn't read. I often read. I've got a ten year old and I read the same books that he's reading. So just to, and so that kind of stuff. I reckon. Oh, that'd be sick. I, I love that. Like, is it about like being present in the moment about like whatever you're doing, you're 100% focused on that, you know? Yeah, I think I think so. So I think it's the opposite of being present in the moment, isn't it? It's kind of being completely fucking lost in the moment so no one can get into, yeah. But no, yeah. It, it is. It's just like the, 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 the kids have a sense, have a, an ability to play, I think, that we lose as as adults, I think, a bit. Although you guys, I think, have still obviously got it in spades. But um. It's it's having that sense of being able to play and having no ulterior motive other than doing what you're doing, and that's a really cool kind of fun fun place to be. It's like it's okay to have fun still, you know. Yeah. Life's it life's all good. Yeah, you've been telling right. the last two weeks before I. Was, yeah, you're yeah. like, hey, you're allowed to have fun. You're allowed to relax. That's no, you know, no. you're allowed to smile. I think. And and, that, and so you know, in our, in both of our offices, we have an office in Sydney, Melbourne. With both in both offices, we've got a massive bar, and uh, I know you're. And we have we do have non out drinks on the on the uh, on the bar, but we also do want to communicate that it's a good, it's okay to have fun. This culture is going to be fun. We're going to have lots of you know good times here because there is so much pressure to take things way too seriously, and the sense of expectation on everyone is so fucking high. It's fucking crazy. So I'm a you know an advocate for um, yeah just doing whatever what about what about overthinking can you overthink like when you've got some i'm sure like these big uh big projects that you're working on can sometimes can you just be overthinking stuff like do you do you have to put in boundaries to sort of put that put that away and and just relax i I reckon there's two answers to that i reckon there's two types of people people are easy on themselves and people who are hard on themselves and the people who are hard on themselves fucking overthink things to their own detriment uh, through anxiety or through this quest for perfection and stuff like that, I think that's a real issue. I think being easy on yourself is, you know, I, I've, I, I had I, my mum always said I was blessed with no ambition, and so whatever I've achieved, I think is fucking amazing because I never thought I'd achieve anything. <laughs> and so I'm constantly amazed at myself, which is which is a much healthier place to be. But the other answer to your question is, um. Sometimes you have to really think things through in marketing uh, or in what we do to come up with something that is just going to be a bee's dick moment to a consumer and they're not going to really care about it 
but all of that thinking has to go into it to make sure um, it gets sunk into their mind in, in, in the right way. And so I do, I do like people who, who really care about stuff and really take the time to really craft something and really, really uh, kind of think it, think it through and who are really passionate about it. So, yeah, but not to their own detriment. What are you watching at the moment? You got any TV shows? Are you are you a, a TV man? You like series, movies? Um, I just finished watching Dharma, which I loved, and I, anything is uh, a saying which I learned in forensic psychology, which is "bad men do what good men dream," and it's a it's a pretty kind of evil saying, but saying like, like we're all born with kind of impulses, and as we kind of grow up and so forth, we learn how to act in a more in a civil kind of way but that idea that there's badness in all in in all people and we just need to learn how to curtail those impulses i find quite an interesting thing so the dharma drama the dharma drama was so exquisitely i think made that it really just uh, really systematically um helped explain how he ended up being how he um ended up explaining how he did what he did with a whole lot of antecedents you could see clearly dotted through the um through the drama. Do you reckon series like that, well, you said the other day, but do you reckon series like that make more serial killers? You know, like it's like, is that like marketing for serial killers? Because <laughs> it's pretty um, like... Uh, You've seen people dress up as Dharma at glorifying... It knocked off Squid Game as the most watched or streamed thing on Netflix. So it was the most watched... It was, grip, it was grouse content. And it was crazy. Yeah. You know, people yeah. just... Like really, like in your face. Because it's a real story. That's what you know. How many people go yeah. out there getting some, getting their big barrel and sticking yeah. some bodies into it? I, I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think that's what makes a serial killer. So I don't think just watching that. I think we all know killing people is really, really bad. I, I think even the people who are doing it know that it's bad and don't want to do it, and kind of for, for whatever reason they've learned to cope with life by doing that kind of thing. Um, so I think it's far more complicated than that. I don't think it, I don't think it does that. But I, but I do think there's an argument to be made to um, not make that kind of content freely available all the time. So I do think it could have a cumulative effect on people and or desensitise people to violence or something. So I think it needs to be treated in moderation and carefully. I think it, it reminds me of like the WWE, like I turned, like for me, growing up on pro wrestling and stuff and watching that, I look at stuff like that, but that's storylines, that's action, that's like fucking, when you're, you're 10 years old and they got storylines of he's stole your, he's killed your thing, oh, and done like that. <laughs> but like learning from the, that's closer to reality. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's like you saying, like good men dream of what bad men do. It's like that, that thing, that's what grips you, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. You're a fan know. of wrestling? I, I'm, I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm still. I don't quite know how to re react because they are quite different. Right? The, the wrestling thing is all fake, and the Dharma thing. And Dharma chopped him up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Completely <laughs> different. Yeah, yeah. He was eating. He's eating people next door, and it's not walking it's bit, out in some makeup. Yeah, yeah, true. But you do you watch? Uh, is it Rick, is it Rick Rubin who was oh, on the yeah. pod recently, and he was not on our pod. Oh, we no, on no. Joe, Joe Rogan's. Yeah, but he was talking about um, wrestling as you. Closer to dabbling in the dark arts. It's all, it's like you, that's why you're interested. Like, we talk about like uh, Charles Manson and all that, those type of things, like cults and stuff like that. Like, how do people get hooked up? What were they doing that that's so, are they so charismatic? Like, people, they, they found them in the right place and stuff. Is it that stuff like that? 
do you look at people like like Charles yeah, Manson and shit like that? I do, only from a uh, from a branding perspective, and um, and I used to um, I used to get a little bit more involved in cults than I do now. So I I used to kind of be a cult a serial pest, if you like. I used to go to cults and try to disrupt them and things like that. And so I got cease and desist letters from the Church of Scientology and from Landmark Education. I don't know if you've done that and stuff like that. But they're really interesting in terms of how they um the WWE stuff's interesting, right? So really clear branding, really clear narratives, lots of really strong distinctive brand assets to signify the good guy and the bad guy and all that kind of stuff. Cults are the same, religions are the same. So really strong iconography, whether it be the cross, charismatic leader and all that kind of stuff. The other thing that cults do is they get you to invest something of yourself into the cult. So if you've ever had a friend who's been in a cult or been, been in something like Landmark, which is a cult, they'll, they normally have these kind of things like called graduation nights. And on the graduation night, they'll invite a friend, come watch me graduate or whatever. And then some stage during the graduation night, they'll say, right, have any of you, does anybody here want to declare anything about themselves or anything, had anything bad happen? They just want to talk about and as soon as some poor sod stands up and says something the act of doing that binds them you know they think that they're doing that to set themselves free from that burden but by doing that it actually binds them to the cult because they're justifying to themselves oh these people must be good enough to share my secret with or share my pain with and by doing that they then have to they then kind of start to build dependency on them on on the cult and, and that whole thing, again, of action changes attitude, fast and attitude changes action, that's what cults do. They, they, they create these moments that get you to disclose something about yourself to them and then they, that, starts, that starts to bind you to the organisation. And I, I find that really fascinating. I find, and, then, and they're really well branded, um, do you see that's coming up? I see it's uh, Tony Robbins. It's like Tony Robbins. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. A little bit Tony Robbins. Of, the religious element of stuff, like I've seen things like um, there's a church down here. We're down in Torquay, and there's one that's just obviously just started booming of the city on a hill or something like that. We drive past it, and it's like they're it's the same one that the SCO do, whatever. Has to see it, yeah. and, but it's like the marketing now that people are doing, and it's like that really like we're going to like people care so much. I don't like, yeah. I'm not. I'm not, Deeply a, I'm, not a de- I'm not a religious dude, so it's like uh, everyone's entitled to do whatever they want, accepting whatever, but it's like now the way that they, like, engage people to, like, drive the cause, you know, it's, it's well, well, crazy. Again, it comes down to marketing, doesn't it? So if you go to Hillsong, um, he's the power of emotion. They dial the music up to a 1,000, and it's all, they, use all we, yeah, they use sensory deprivation. They use all the psychological principles that a psychologist learns, but they dial them all up to a thousand, and it, and then they create fanaticism just by um, it's kind of manipulation. Yeah, it kind of feels like it's manipulation of free will, doesn't it? Because it's hard, you know, if you've got all the music blaring and you've got all your mates and you've got the evangelical singing and so forth. It's going to be harder to make a considered decision. Are these my types of people or not? If you're kind of being swept away in this kind of um, environment. But then, you know, you can't necessarily judge that as being good or bad because you have to then, I guess, ultimately say, well, it's the individual's free will to join that thing or not, right? Did you see the series that come out on Netflix? Is it how to make a 
had to, how to be, be a tyrant. How to be a tyrant. It was like 10 part series talking. You and like you Hitler and all that. that. I was talking about all these yeah, the, the different yeah. people over time that have obviously done negative things, but what have they actually done to control the message and, and the narrative to the people to build buy in, push forward their whatever they're trying to do? And it was like, it was almost like it was it was crazy because I just think all the, that side of things people don't talk about it, but that's like real life. That shit's going on everywhere. You walk past yeah. and you just see it just as often. That's right. And you see something like him, like somebody like Steve Jobs. I was reading recently that his wife is um, now been curating all the archives of, of all of his work and everything, but they're being incredibly selective as to what they put into the archives and what they don't. And how they build the build his history and his story of his history. It's like 1984, uh, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. And you know, just that thing on how to create a tyrant. I think there would be a, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but how do you see it with all the world? Like you look at the Bezos, the Bill Gates, and the Elon Musk and stuff like that. Do you look at people like that and try and understand what what they're what they're doing? Well, like, they're all buying media outlets, so they're all trying to control some sort of mass eyeballs and attention. <laughs> like, surely that's like it's weird. Yeah, I think that, look how yeah. you get you buy yourself a media company. Yeah, yeah. We well, start yeah. a podcast, <laughs> wear black t-shirts <laughs> and white t-shirts. <laughs> what? <laughs> Who said that? Yeah, I don't know. I reckon they all have different motivations, and um, uh, but ha- yeah, but I do, I do worry about um, the power of um. I do worry about anybody who gets in that much power, say, of, of Facebook or Meta, so Zuckerberg, and then being chairman and CEO and so on and not and not relinquishing any of that power or him deciding that there should be no checks and balances. I think that must be dangerous for for the world because if, it's, if he's having so much influence on our culture, we're putting so much reliance on him having benevolent motivations when it would appear that he couldn't give a fuck. Um, so so that kind of that kind of worries me, yeah. But I think of somebody like Elon Musk. I think he's crazy and nutty and a narcissist, but I kind of, for whatever reason, still kind of believe he has benevolent motivations where he's trying to find solutions that are improving things rather than fucking with things. I like seeing people yeah. put things out there. You know, at least he's having a crack. You know, he's, he's a big, he's, he's a, a big lighthouse for the one percent. You know what I mean? Going and, for anger, yeah. and for anger and things. And it's not no one's perfect. Everyone's human. Everyone that, makes mistakes. Right. Except, and it almost makes you like him more when people like that are, are vulnerable. That have hiccups and stuff. You know, that's right. It, it, and kind of, it kind of, if somebody like that can become that powerful, I mean, he's obviously, yeah, exactly. It's liberating for everybody to see weird or unusual people in high places of power and, or high places of creativity, I think it's liberating for everybody. Um, this is a really quick aside, which I love, but read, watch, um, uh, who, who's the woman who appeared in something like, something about Mary who had her hair like that? Cameron Diaz. Cameron Diaz. So Cameron yeah. Diaz's... Uh, what was in her hair? I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sunscreen. Uh, so Cameron Diaz's first movie is called The Last Supper. And in The Last Supper, there's a bunch of lefties and they invite a right-wing person over for dinner and then they kill that person and they feed that person to the tomatoes. And um, and then they keep on, they think that's funny, they keep on doing it, but then they run, run out of right-wing people to kill. So they find out who's the most right-wing out of the lefties and they kill that person. And then they kill the next person, next person, next person. And in the end, it's the two people deciding who's the most right-wing and trying to kill that person. And the point, the point of the movie or my take out of the movie is no matter what the person's extreme is, 
any extremist is good because it's keeping the playing field wide. So even if you completely disagree with that person, it's keeping the playing field wide of possibilities. So back to our very first conversation around the grid and the lines and shutting things down, having somebody really vehemently express something disagreeing with you is probably a really good thing because they think that, you think that, and therefore all those things in the middle are possible. The issue is when that person tries to shut that person up and not let them express themselves, then all you're doing is chopping off the edges of what's possible. And then we all end up wearing spandex, walking in unison and having the same colour haircuts and robbing ourselves of our humanity. If I didn't jump Censorship's real. I feel like that, like, during, especially when there's a lot of diff- different things that have come through and, like, YouTube with misinformation and all sorts of stuff, the different... Uh, Platforms like I know Elon Musk with Twitter, who have they're very much like let's censor first and different things they put forward. But I feel like that's such a it's such a weird world. We think about it all the time. We've done so many episodes now where we put things out, and like we don't really think much, we just put out. But <laughs> it's not like we imagine someone cared enough that said, Fuck, we're gonna come and yeah. use what you're saying. Thank you guys you now. And, yeah, how did you guys you know, let's I you said this back in 2020 or yeah. whatever, yeah. like yeah. fuck. They will you know, I did. they will, and it's gonna happen, and <laughs> you're gonna be screwed. Yeah, we're it, 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 but it's fascinating. If you take it to a tenth degree, if you take what's happening right now to a tenth degree, it will happen. And uh, and I, I do find that I find that kind of scary. I hate that. It's a it's a weird way. Hey, we're at the pointy end of the year. What's on between now and Christmas? Um, oh, just a few weekends away, and um. And that kind of thing, and then a bit of work. I, can't, I don't know. I don't even know what's on tomorrow, let alone what's on next week. Well, man, thank you so much for jumping on and letting us pick your brain. This has been an unreal chat. We've talked about cults. We've talked about marketing. But one thing we eyes. forgot. One thing we forgot to mention was the cardboard cut out of you behind you. Is oh. that is that you? Yeah, oh, no. yeah, that was a gift. What that was a that was a gift from my previous agency when I left. Um, it was, you know, what do you give a narcissist? You've got everything. You give them another version of themselves or something was the line. I forget what it was, but yeah, I've still got it with me. <laughs> I love that. That's <laughs> the best. I wish I had one too. Yeah. Good on you, anyway, guys. Thanks so much, Adam. Fucking awesome having you on, bro. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks for inviting me. It's fantastic. Good on you. Take care. This has been a Wellbeing Network podcast. <laughs>